Welcome to the Collections by Michelle Brown Show, a show about people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality as they create change. This episode is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services. Welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. I'm your host, Michelle Brown. Each week, we'll be talking with people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality, and creating change. Today, we're talking with Roz Gold Keith. Roz is a wife, mother, sister, aunt, friend, and advocate. She has more than 30 years' experience developing strategically sound, targeted marketing plans, including consumer promotions, new product launches, television ad campaigns, and in-store community grassroots events. Additionally, she has a significant experience analyzing data to understand and identify key insight that's necessary to build sound marketing. Roz has a B.A. in English Literature from the University of Michigan. From 1991 to 2000, she co-owned RGK Associates with her husband, Richard, in New Jersey, where they lived for 10 years. In 2009, the entrepreneurial bug bit her again, and Roz formed Party Planning Plus LLC, where she honed her web marketing skills and harnessed the power of social media. She and her husband later formed MindSee Creative, a Michigan company that helps businesses grow through unique branded stories, innovative thinking, dynamic, creative, and effective listening and communications. Her son, Hunter, is transitioning from female to male, and Roz has turned her formidable skills in advocating not only for Hunter, but for the transgender community especially transgender youth. Together, Hunter and Roz are navigating the journey and doing their best to spread awareness and ultimately gain acceptance regarding what it means to be transgender. Roz is a blogger at Call Him Hunter, creator of Ally Moms, and founder and board president of Stand With Trans. Stand With Trans provides transgender youth with tools so they'll be empowered, supported, and validated as they transition to their authentic life by providing information, programs, and resources that are intended to advocate, celebrate, and empower transgender youth and their families. Roz, welcome to the show. I'm so happy to have you. Well, thank you. What an intro. I I didn't anticipate you'd have my resume there. <laughs> yeah. Your homework. I remember meeting you at um, the UN Association of Greater Detroit. Right. And they were talking about trans issues globally and locally. And, you know, it's, it's like a unique place where, where I stand sometimes, having been a member of the LGBT community and having had a mother who was in my corner, but also seeing you 
as a mother, and mm. as you talked about your son, feeling the same feelings that a mother feels and the same hopes and aspirations that you do have for your child. I say say that I often tell people that, you know, all of these kids are our kids. So, you know, you brought Hunter into the world, but in, in a way it was like you were talking about one of my kids. That's a great perspective. Um, you know, it definitely, uh, I, I don't want to say takes a village, but it's, you know, you need your community. And, of course, kids need their families and, you know, their parents support them. But sometimes that's not enough. You know, you need to know that you have your neighbors in your corner or, you know, your, your friends, your extended family. Um, it's support comes from many different places. And, you know, we just, we soak it all up wherever we can get it um, because, you know, it's necessary. And we also recognize that not every child is so lucky. So Mm -hmm. we try to Mm -hmm. keep that perspective as well. You know, I think that's the thing that, and I've talked to, I've talked to a few mama advocates and mm-hmm. in fact, most recently, and you know, and there's some parts of the story that doesn't change. And I had talked with Harriet Hancock, who is in her 80s now, and they call her the mom of South Carolina pride. Mm. And she talked about that time when her son came to her to tell her that he was gay, mm. and how you know, all the things that you're going on to it, but how immediately that sort of like came into her. And I mean, I think it was like a cute little funny story because she was talking like he said he had something to tell her and she was walking around, didn't want to sit down. And then he told her she was gay. She was like, oh, is that all? I thought you were going to tell me you were smoking pot, you know. And, (laughs) uh, And I know, and reading some of the things that you were saying, like Hunter was very young when Hunter came out to you and I know many like with Harriet her son was like college age and often it's like their people talk about oh their child came out to them and they were like an adult they were in their teens but Hunter was very young and I know in reading one of the things that you were talking about like you knew something but you were unsure what and Hunter told you put it in perspective was that anywhere on your radar that you were expecting Hunter to tell you this? No. <laughs> no, he was 14. And um, as I've talked about and written about over the past few years, um, you know, he was a tomboy. You know, what we think of when we think tomboy. You know, a girl who's not girly and who is more rough and tumble and likes to play with the boys and climbs trees. And, um, and so there was a lot of that. But... I, those were not warning signs of any problems to me. Um, I, there's no question that I'm female, but I don't consider myself like really feminine girly. And I climbed fences and climbed trees when I was a kid and I played baseball with the other kids in our, on our block. And so none of that stuff really concerned me. There were, other things, though, that were going on over the years, you know, the male avatars. So when we started playing all the electronic games and when you could create your own character, his character was always a male character. And um, 
you know, the costumes were always the boy heroes, not the princesses. And, you know, so there there was a lot of that that I always found a little bit interesting. But again, like not, it wasn't something that I was going to run to a doctor over, oh, his, you know, Mm -hmm. Sims avatar is male. It was like, like I noted it, but it certainly wasn't, a red flag of any sort. And, you know, you also have, so this was four years ago when he came out to me and you have to remember four years ago, nobody was really talking about trans anything. So if today he came to me at age 14 and said, I'm transgender, I would imagine I would know a lot more than I did when he first came out to me. Um, And leading up to, he probably wouldn't have even told me then, but I pushed the envelope a little bit because he was in eighth grade and he was starting to drift to the boys' department when we'd go clothes shopping. And um, then he started to um, he started asking to get his hair cut, which again it was like, okay, get your hair cut. I, you know, I didn't care. I was, I, it was never one of those moms like, oh, you have to be worn a certain way or you have to have this style. Um, so when he asked to get his hair cut, I, the only thing I asked of him was just send me pictures. I just wanted to get a sense of what he was thinking about. And my phone started blowing up with pictures of boys with short hair. And mm-hmm. that was like the hammer over the head because I was expecting girls with short haircuts you know, something chin length or something, a shaggy layered cut. You know, I don't know. I don't know what I expected, but it wasn't to see pictures of boys with short boy haircuts. So at that point, I said to him, you know, this is very masculine. Is this what you're going for? And he looked at me and he said, yep, and got up and walked out of the room. Mm. So (laughs) I got up and I followed him upstairs and um, into his room and said, what's going on? And that's when he told me. So I think if I hadn't pursued it at that moment, he probably wouldn't have told me right then and there. But obviously it was bubbling to the surface. It was going to come out sooner or later. And he had known himself for maybe two years, I think he said. You know, he always felt something was not quite right and something was different and he didn't know what it was. He didn't have the language. He just always felt different. And he saw a story on TV about another transgender individual and it clicked and he's like, that's me. So Mm. for two years he was doing his own research and starting to confide in one or two friends before he ever said anything to us. When, when yeah, as you, you know, you know, like 14 <clears throat> is that age, you know. And did, as you were going through this, did you have a moment where, you know, or did others try to say, oh, he's just going, you know, or at that point, denying the gender that, that Hunter wanted and saying, oh, you know, it's just a thing. It's, you know, that's that teenage thing. You know, your child's going to grow out of it. Um, when you went to seek more information, did you hit that wall? Well, we hit the wall, but not because people were resistant to the idea of that, or the idea that somebody could be transgender, or that an adolescent would know 
um, at 14, um, you know, when he told me, I didn't really even understand what that meant. I just thought he wanted to look like a guy. And, and I said, well, you can wear boys clothes and we've never restricted what kind of what you play with and you know we didn't define that so I thought that that would be enough that he just had that okay and he's like no you don't understand you know I have these body parts that I don't want Mm. so that was really the beginning of my education and um, so I think I really after that conversation I really knew deep down that what he was telling me was true and authentic. And, um, you know, my husband was initially less willing to, I don't want to say accept, because he was never not accepting or understanding. He was more reticent. Like he just thought, well, you know, who knows what's going on and there could be some other emotional things and it's hormonal and, you know, we should just tread lightly, you know, let's be careful. Um, and I remember saying to him, you know, this is not going away. I just know it's not going away. And so really our roadblock four years ago was finding resources. You know, they're really, they're, it was nearly impossible to find a therapist who specialized in um, transgender adolescents and to find a medical doctor who knew what they were talking about. Um, There was one in the area and she didn't take our insurance. Um, So those were more of the issues, you know, and I remember when we were first starting to look for the therapist, my concern was that we would find somebody who was polarized in one way or the other that would either say, Oh no, this is, you know, ridiculous and try to talk him out of it or someone that would push him too fast. So, you know, we were very concerned about finding an appropriate, knowledgeable, neutral professional that could help us. And, um, and that was so, so those were really difficult moments. It was, you know, look, as a parent, if you have a sick child or you have some, you know, a child that has some special need, it's very frustrating if you can't get what you need for them. If you can't find the right support and the right help and the right resources, you know, you just want to cry because all you want to do is care for your child. So, those were more of the the, issue, the issues and the barriers was just finding what we needed for him. Um, and, it, it, I mean, ultimately we kind of cobbled together a plan for him, but there's so many more options today in just even in this metro Detroit area than um, there were four years ago. And we still have a long way to go, but those were the struggles was getting him what he needed and seeing him in so much pain, you know, cause he was you know, really struggling. And uh, um, I've talked to Willie Wilkinson and he's a trans activist and he mm-hmm. was, he told me once that at a young age, he knew he was Willie mm-hmm. and in his mind. And when he expressed himself, he expressed himself as Willie. He put, I mean, and he doesn't even go there about, you know, the birth name, but he was Mm -hmm. Willie. Mm. Um, 
had Hunter already started to see himself as Hunter? And, you know, had he, did he have this, this in his mind, I'm Hunter already? Had he already accepted that and was just ready to reveal it to you? Well, he was, I mean, he knew by the time he told me, he knew he was transgender. He knew mm-hmm. that his identity was male. So when he told me, I mean, there was no question in his mind. He had spent two years watching YouTube videos of guys transitioning, trans guys transitioning from female to male. He had read stories. He had researched. Um, he, he was, you know, he was ready to go. And I had to slow him down because I didn't know anything. I, I didn't, I barely knew what the word transgender meant, let alone starting on social and medical transitions. Mm. So, you know, we had a long way to go. And he was young. And that was the, the, plus, the plus to it is that, and I feel very fortunate, some come to their parents and say, I'm transgender, and by the way, call me Joe. And I go by, and I use mm-hmm. no pronouns. They just, they spill it all in one conversation and they expect the parents to be understanding and accepting and flip the switch. And now I'm a new name and you have to use he, him instead of she, her. And that's really difficult because mm-hmm. you need time to process it. And we were fortunate because Hunter didn't do that. He, he had a plan that he wanted to get going with, but it was months before he actually asked us to use female or to use male pronouns. And um, he asked about changing his name and we actually chose it together. He didn't come to us with a name. Um, And that was, you know, maybe, oh gosh, seven, six, seven months or so after he told us. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it was like, spring of eighth grade and then that summer he went off to camp and I think he came out to his friends at camp and they were I think they started using male pronouns and kind of identifying with him that you know he was a guy Um, but we weren't a part of that until later in the year when he you know said okay you know now I you know I want to change my name and So, and at that point, you know, we were pretty used to the idea, but it was still, um, it was still not second nature. And even to the point, you know, I remember going out for breakfast one morning and, you know, the the family, we were out for breakfast and the waitress came over and this was maybe four months or so after he had come out to us. So he was presenting as male. His, His hair was long. Um, it wasn't a short, short boy's haircut at that point, but it was shorter. And he wore a baseball cap all the time and, you know, zip-up hoodies and jeans. So, he, I mean, he definitely looked more like a boy, like a sports mm-hmm. boy than a, than a girl. And um, I remember the waitress referring to her as him. And I corrected the waitress and said, she, you know, um, because I, like, I just, not that I didn't, accept him and and it's not that I wasn't supporting his journey like we just hadn't gone there yet Mm -hmm. you know well you know yeah and and I understand that and I think that it's great that you do have it because I do have friends in the trans community who are like you know and they just sort of 
dropped it on, you know, like this is it and that's it. But, mm-hmm. you know, and having talked, to, like I said, I talked to a lot of, of mothers and stuff. When you get that bundle in your hands, you know, when your child is born, you have these dreams, expectations and everything. And you know what? And no matter what your child is, kids are going to do what kids are going to do and you have to roll with it. But it sounds like to me that, you know, and I guess on my did you mourn or, you know, because I know it would be cavalier for you to say, even though you love your child regardless, but you you didn't just go like, okay, well, that's fine. That kid's gone. That's a new kid. Did you mourn that loss of that that ideal of what you thought your child was going to be? Um, you know, I really didn't. You know, you have to understand that Hunter was never an easy child to parent. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's actually easier now. But, you know, I'm sure that a lot of the issues and some of the stuff that we dealt with was because he just never felt comfortable with who he was at the time, you know, how he was being presented to the world. And so, and then going into adolescence and puberty and, I mean, it was, these were not fun times. Mm -hmm. And so I just kept thinking, well, I want, my child to be happy and healthy and a productive adult in this world and to be emotionally whole. And if this is what's going to get him there, then okay. You know, and I know a lot of parents do mourn. They feel like they've lost a daughter. They've lost a son. They can't get past, you know, the different clothes. Uh, Maybe a name was, you know, it was their mother's name, it was their great-grandmother's name. You know, they, they hang on to things that, in my mind, really didn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, what mattered is that I had a child that needed help, and I was going to figure out how to get him what he needed so he could stick around <laughs> and be That's healthy. Beautiful. And um, so, you know, I never... I never had that overwhelming sense of loss. You know, there mm-hmm. were definitely moments that were sad. And, and um, you know, I remember when he was going shorter with the hair. And it just struck me, you know, I just, uh, you know, I got a little teary. And he asked me what was wrong. And I said, nothing. I said, I just feel a little sad about it. And mm. he said, it's okay. It's okay, Mama. He said, I won't get it cut so short. And it was so sweet. And I just said, you know what? It's your hair. Cut it however you want. I said, but it's okay mm-hmm. for me to feel sad. You know, I, mm-hmm. I guess I always just let him know that I had feelings about it. It didn't mean that I didn't love him or that I wasn't going to support him, but I needed to be allowed to have my feelings too. And so he was pretty good about that, you know, for the most part, about allowing my emotions also to be authentic and, you know, understand that also we would make mistakes that for 14 years we referred to our younger child as a daughter and she and that it was, we were going to struggle for a little bit until we got it right. But again, that didn't mean that we weren't supportive. It just meant we, you know, it's going to take us a while to change our habits. 
You know, once I was in, in Washington, D.C., and there's a woman there, she wrote this book, and you probably heard of it called The Princess Boy. Mm. And, um, and she was talking about, you know, having this child and everything. And someone asked, you know, could they speak to the father? And he was sitting there. And, they, you know, they sort of came on him, you know, like, but this is your son, and he's going to school and a dress, and she's letting him do How do you feel like that? And he mm-hmm. said a lot of what you said, that, yeah, there were things that, to try to get through, but he went back to, and, you know, um, he said he went back to what his hopes and dreams had been when he had found out she was pregnant and that they would have right. a happy healthy child that would be able to navigate through life and and live, you know, their full and authentic life. And he looked at that child and he said, that's what I've got. That's what I'm hearing from you. You know, but you went from this child, like you said, it it had been hard and finally recognizing, you know, because when you have a child and you're going through things and it's like so hard, it's like if I could find a key to turn and make everything perfect, or better, you would, and you got that. Correct. And um, he is, I mean, I feel like he's a better version of himself. He's just this incredible young man, and he's a kind human being. And, um, you know, I don't think that I would be saying those things about it about him if we didn't support him and didn't allow him to transition. I think that we'd have, if, 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 you know, he was alive, um, I think that we'd be saying we have a depressed, angry, tortured child who, you know, is lost. So, um, you have to put it into perspective and, and you're right that I think parents do have to, it's okay to feel like you're, you've lost what you had hoped for, you know, or maybe some dream that you had for your child, but that's all that it is. You are not losing your child, you know, and it does, I I get a little angry and I have to watch myself because unfortunately I know what it is like to lose a child We've mm-hmm. lived through that, and it's the worst thing you could ever experience in your life, and having a transgender child doesn't compare. Yeah, that's beautiful. Okay, we're going to take a short break, and because um, I want to go a little bit more into Hunter, and then your, your advocacy, but we'll be right back. Um, we're talking with Roz Gold-Keith, uh, the founder of stand with trans and we'll be right back here on collections by michelle brown this episode of collections by michelle brown is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services, bringing balance to your mind, body, and spirit. For more information or to schedule an appointment, visit the Center at www.thecenterforpeacellc.com. 
and we're back. Roz, you know, I sort of hear that, and you know, and there's that thing that you hear about parenting, which I think that I often tell people the worst thing we can do for for a baby when it's born is when somebody looks between its legs and immediately <laughs> puts them in a box. It's like, how come we can't go like, hey, well, what is it? It's a healthy baby. In fact, now we're doing it even before. You know, we have reveals and all like that. That you're right. you're putting you're putting them into that box instead of, you know, it's healthy. It's a healthy child, and let's see what it's going to blossom and become. And I think that most of us, if our parents went back and looked at, we aren't what they expected, but we've blossomed and we've become, and they can look at us and say, well, they didn't do it our way, but, you know, they did it okay. And, I mean, the fact that you're able to see that Hunter is a better version of himself now that he claimed his truth. Correct. And that we allowed it. Of course, I hear stories all the time, and I hear from parents, and I hear from trans youth, and I hear from trans adults, and some of the stories are just heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, I have to be careful when I'm working with a parent who perhaps is on the fence about the support or, you know, not sure where to go with it or feeling like, well, you know, I just... I just bought them a party dress last week. You know, how could they be male? Um, I've learned, you know, it's it's all it, it comes out of love. So, from a peer support person, I've learned that I do have to meet people where they are. And the common ground is most times parents will say, "Absolutely love this child to the ends of the earth." I would, you know, climb mountains, cross you know, rivers. Um, So you start there, and then they have to start to look at, well, okay, so if you do love them unconditionally, then what do you want for them? And and then, you know, you help them navigate that journey. But um, it's, it's not easy. It's not, it's, I think that sometimes in the, outreach and the advocacy that we're doing and the sharing our story, um, perhaps I make it seem like it was a piece of cake and it was all great and flowers and rainbows. And there were a lot of struggles, you know, and this was with our support. It took, oh gosh, maybe a year and a half, really, from the time he came out um, for Hunter to really start feeling better about himself and feeling more confident and feeling like he had value. Um, So you can imagine if it took that long with our support, what happens when an individual has no support system in place and they're trying to figure it out. You know, oftentimes the consequences are just, you know, they're tragic. Now, you, um, in your professional career and stuff, you were mm-hmm. involved with, I mean, you had started to get involved with social media and doing all that. And then right. I know you started a blog and um, a group. Did you find that being familiar with social media and, and knowing that this information is out there, did that help you? 
develop that community around you to where that could share information that, you know, let you know that you weren't alone, that you could vent to? Did, right. did that, like, is that what? Oh, absolutely. And it wasn't immediate because, again, um, things have changed dramatically in four years. Mm-hmm. But um, I think the turning point, well, we were probably about a year in, a year and a half in, and, um, you know, I had discovered some Facebook groups for parents of transgender kids. And so that was kind of the beginning of finding some community because other than, you know, one or two other, there was one family initially that I was introduced to through a mutual friend, and she was about six months ahead of the pro- of us in helping her son transition. Our kids are the same age. So she was my beacon of light. You know, she was my my light at the end of the tunnel because I didn't, at that point, I didn't know anyone else who was dealing with this. Um, so, you know, there, there were no support groups. And um, there, like, as I said, there, four years ago, there was really nothing out there for us to tap into. Um, and anything trans-related was more geared towards the adult population, not youth. So once I did start to find some of the communities on Facebook, that, of course, that was very helpful because you start to, you know, connect with other parents and you discover that there are all these stories out there and there are so many more out there like my son and there's such a great need that people are struggling that, um, you know, teens are taking their own lives because they don't have support, because they're not understood, because they can't live authentically. And, you know, it's just heartbreaking. So it was helpful on the one hand and then just fueled my passion for trying to make things better for others um, because, as I said, when we started out, we didn't have the resources, and I could see how much need there was out there for the support groups and to have resources and to have easy access to information, which just non-existent. You know, the couple of websites that I was directed to just were either dated or the information wasn't accurate or it's for adults, not youth. I have found, and I've talked to a lot of my trans male friends, okay, there is, it seems like, and even the media focus tends to be on the male to female. In fact, one of my uh, friends who's a trans male, uh, he was saying that, you know, it's just like the society's voyeur interest in sexualizing women. And that, that's why, yeah, oh, well, I'm talking about for the longest that there, the resources for trans men weren't there. And there were many trans men who found it easy to just sort of transition and, you know, go on and live as men quietly. Mm-hmm. But now with youth, I mean, you're seeing female to male, male to female, a lot of them. But how much do you see that stand with trans? I mean, do you see the need to really talk more about female to male or provide more resources from them? Do you find that, you know, the young people who are coming to stand with trans, are they, are they feeling that too, that maybe there isn't something there for them because they are not trans female? No. Um, I, I, I haven't 
I haven't found that. Um, the um, the kids that come to the group that we run um, are, you know, it's a little bit, it's a mixed group, and you have youth identifying from female to male, male to female, agender, non-binary, gender fluid. So it's all over the lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I do feel that it is significantly easier for, as a teenager who's gone through puberty, for a female to transition to male than for a male to transition to female. And that's just, you know, an unfortunate fact of hormones and puberty. And once um, uh, an individual who, whose biological sex is male goes through puberty, and they have a deep voice, and the Adam's apple is pronounced, and they start to get bigger hands and feet and broad shoulders, um, facial hair. That stuff is, you can't go back in time. So I am a huge proponent. Um, so I jumped a bit, but so I think that it is, it makes it very difficult for those individuals to then present as female and truly look female and feminine because unfortunately the way we define masculine and feminine in our culture um, is, you know, very rigid. And so people stare and it's like, you know, a man in a dress and um, people don't want to hear those, those descriptions. But unfortunately that's, that's the truth of, of how we, um, of how we, um, you know, define things in our society. And so I, I'm a huge proponent of um, hormone blockers. If, if a child who's prepubescent says to their parents, you know, I'm, I'm a boy, I don't want to put on a dress or I'm a girl, you, you know, uh, let's say it's mm-hmm. a, the biological sex is male and they, they, all they want to do is put on the, the pretty dresses and twirl around and it's persistent and insistent and um, consistent and they haven't hit puberty yet, then it's a good idea once they've gone through all of the steps with the, their pediatrician and then the endocrinologist and the therapist to put them on hormone blockers. And all that does, is hold off puberty until they are maybe a little bit older, a year or two older. It depends when the child is making this declaration. So then a decision can be made. And if two years down the line, they're still insisting, you know, I am female. Well, then they can start on the whole medical transition with hormones Mm -hmm. and avoid the painful double puberty and going through all of the, body changing um, effects of male puberty, which you can't reverse, but the blockers mm-hmm. just kind of give you, they buy you time. They're not doing anything. You know, I know a lot of people feel like, Oh, you know, a nine year old or a 10 year old, they're too early. You know, how could they possibly know? Well, they do know, but if you want to buy a year or so, then just block puberty. So there's no chance of either breast development or the voice, you know, changing mm-hmm. and cracking and, um, so I think that's in part why the male to female transitions are so much more visible 
because when it happens later, you know, it's it's hard to hide it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, I tell you, a dream interview would have you and Harriet Hancock sit down together because um, it's one of the things that she was saying, like when her son came out to her that he was gay and she became the... the the, the advocate, the ally, and you know, mm-hmm. and uh, which is interesting because, like, we're talking like social media. She's talking about having to type up letters and run home to get to a landline to call people. Mm. But she said that at a certain point, when you know she wanted to be there to advocate for her son, she went back and said, "Are you okay with me being out here doing all of this?" And I've mm-hmm. seen you and your son have a really nice balance together when you were mm-hmm. on that that panel. But at a certain point, you know, you were blogging, you were doing all of this. Did did you two have that conversation? You know, like, I really want to stand for your rights and I want to do this, you know. And he say, okay, mom, that's fine, or should you tone it down? Did you two have a conversation about your level of activism? We did. It's a great question. Um, I did talk to him. Well, before I started blogging, I guess, um, we had gotten a call from a journalist who wanted to tell our story. And we, you know, I, I was at that point, I was completely fine with it. But I, I said to her, our whole family has to be on board because there's four of us. It's not just me. And so that was like the first group buy-in. And then when I started blogging, uh, I did talk to Hunter about it. And he was fine. Um, he didn't like one of if, – if you go to the Call Him Hunter blog, at the top there's a graphic banner and a couple of pictures of him. And he wasn't crazy about one of the pictures. And it wasn't anything – you know, it wasn't an unflattering photo. It wasn't an embarrassing photo. He wasn't – it was, a, in fact, great. For whatever reason, he just – he didn't care for the photo. But I really liked it, and I liked the photo banners. I, that was something actually that I put my foot down and I said, well, it's my blog and I like the photos. <laughs> and he, it, we got past that. But there was one time and I, and I've been very careful about the things that I write. Um, I get like where I get personal is maybe about my feelings, but I don't get too personal about him and, behavior he's engaged in or things he's experienced. Um, One time I did cross the line in his mind and he called me up and he said, take that down immediately. And I did, you know, that's how we've, how we've managed it. And he, um, who's really very much an introvert and is not a big socializer, um, he is so comfortable speaking to groups and talking to the media. Um, he knows his stuff. He um, feels confident about his own, you know, and his own identity. And he knows how much it helps other people. And he's really embraced that. So, um, uh, you know, we have found a good balance and, and then also, you know, I think you have to be careful or any family has to be careful that everything that you talk about is not about this child or not about trans stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, it would be, I think, the same, you know, if you had a child who had 
was born with Down syndrome or had some other, you know, learning dis- learning disability or something. Um, you tend to, you know, you you go where the need is, and it's like triage, you know. So your mm-hmm. a lot of your attention and maybe a disproportionate amount of your attention goes to that child, and the other siblings can feel very left out. I think we do a pretty good job of, and I have an older daughter too. She's 21. Um, mm-hmm. So I think we do a pretty good job of making sure that both kids get the attention that they need and that, and even Hunter sometimes he's like, you know, he doesn't want to hear about trans stuff all the time. You know, mm-hmm. if I bring something up, he could be completely disinterested. And then five minutes later, he'll bring up a topic and, you know, he's all over it. So, <laughs> You know, you know, that's typical team stuff. Uh, you know, that that makes that, that makes so much sense because you know, I I'd asked you once if you had known this one lady who is a disabilities advocate, and she said that that was one of the things that she found that at a certain point in time to make space for the other child and to make uh-huh. space for the family to have family things uh-huh. that it wasn't always all the time. But you know, I, I have a question now. When you're you created Ally Moms, right? And part of it is, like, it's a group of moms around the nation that offer trans kids, and sometimes their parents, love on the other end of the phone. Right. Sometimes after you've done one of those conversations, has Hunter ever come and said, you know, you know, Mom, you can't fix the world, or, or you know, does he console you sometimes? Does it weigh on you sometimes to the point where he can see and go, like, Mom, you can't fix this, but... You're doing what you're doing is so important. No, um, you know, I, I think you know some of my involvement. Um, in, you know, we we the kids joke a little bit, or Hunter will joke a little bit. You know that I'm more obsessed with trans stuff than he is, and. Um, <laughs> but again, it's like finding that balance because you know it became an opportunity for me to plug in and give something back to families who are, who so desperately need support and to know that there are other people out there like them or that they can just vent. Um, and a lot of parents who are afraid to even share what they're feeling with their kid. Um, you know, and I said to you earlier, I would, tell Hunter, you know, I'm just feeling sad right now. And, but it, because my, my philosophy is parenting is parenting. And y- you can't make special considerations and not be a parent because your child is going through something or, you know, they're always going through stuff. And you still have to give them guidance and tell them where you stand and you know, parents are human beings. They have feelings about things. But, you know, my feelings don't negate what his needs are, you know. So, he's, he, you know, he just lets me do my thing. <laughs> well, you know, that, that's what I liked about with seeing you two on a panel together. It's because, like you said, he's very articulate. He, he, can, he gets in his lane and he's there. But, yeah. Uh, and he lets you, your lane runs beside it mm-hmm. and it's important that people see you know that there is this whole picture 
and you're talking about the other side, you know, like like you're a parent, and this is your child, and you want want the best for him, and you're trying to put all these things together, and it's like, he's like, well, and this is what, I'm the trans man. This is my issue. These are the things I want to talk to you about being trans. So you're not, you know, because sometimes people talk about allies, and it's like, uh, ally wants to tell you what it's like to be LGBTQ, and it's like, you don't do that. You're like, I'm his mother, and this is what we've done to navigate our way down this road. And he's talking about being in this road. And it, it's really, as you watched and you saw him develop into this articulate young man, did you, did you sort of like, was it difficult to like, to sort of like, okay, I don't have to be there and open the door for him. I can just like step back and, and be in, in my lane and he's doing his thing. Uh, well, I think that you identified a brilliant insight that we're, we're on this parallel path. You know, he's developing and finding his voice, and um, it's not my voice, and I can be his advocate and I can advocate for others, um, but I'm doing that as a parent. And... Um, you know, anecdotally, you know, he said at one point, oh, you know, I love your blog. It's all about me. And, <laughs> you know, I said, well, actually, the truth is it's, it's about me, mm-hmm. you know, because it's really, for the most part, from a parent's perspective. So um, that I, I am constantly reminding parents that they need to take care of themselves and come to the support group and find their um, space and their coping mechanisms and um, their community because if it's only all about their child, it's not going to work. You know, they're not going to be able to help anyone if they're just so focused on their kid all the time. You know, so we're navigating this journey as a family, you know, as a parent, but also, you know, parents are individuals and they have to, figure out what is going to work for them individually too so they can hold it together. Um, and then the other point I wanted to make is um, I learned um, as we were going, you know, in the middle of this process um, that you said something about, you know, as allies think that they know what everybody else needs and that's not what an ally is. And I, you know, learned that early on that, I needed to step back and ask Hunter what he needed. You know, it wasn't just me running with the ball and, and mm-hmm. hoping that I was going to score. You know, I needed mm-hmm. to be able to say to him, okay, you know, tell me, what do you need me to do for you? Um, and that's in any ally situation. You can't, you can't ever presume to know what somebody else needs. I, I can't, I'm not transgender. I don't know what it's like to be transgender. I don't know what it's like to be Hunter. I, you know, will never share his lived experience. So unless I have that dialogue with him or any other trans person in the community, I can't possibly even begin to understand what they need. Okay, guys, we're going to take our second break here on Collections by Michelle Brown. And I want to get back to one or two things and a couple more questions to ask you. So we will be right back. Sure. 
Collections by Michelle Brown airs every Thursday at 7 p.m. You can subscribe now and listen to the podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Be sure to like the Collections by Michelle Brown Facebook page and mark your calendar so you never miss an episode. And we're back here with Roscoe Keith. Well, you know, Hunter's growing. Uh, you said you had your one daughter was, uh, she, you said she's 21? Yeah, so he's just about to graduate high school, and okay. she's just finishing her junior year at Michigan State. And has he started thinking about what he's going to do? Is he going to go away to school? He is, yeah. He's going <laughs> to go away to school in the fall, which was a big, um, a big step because Back in the fall, he was talking about taking some time off, and, you know, that didn't sit too well with me, but um, mm-hmm. he, he has been inspired and motivated to um, commit to that next step. So he is going to go off to college and live in a dorm, and um, he wants to study education. He's very interested mm-hmm. in uh, being a high school educator. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, we'll see. I'm sure he'll change his mind a few times. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, he, yeah, he just made one decision to go off to school. So yeah. you're, you're potentially going to be a part-time empty nester. Yes. I, yeah. uh, so how do you see that that's going to impact this work that you're doing with Stand With Trans? I'll have more time for it. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yes, Stand With Trans um, is a little over two years old, and we're in a really um, great place right now. We just did some strategic planning. We're growing our board. Um, we are going to be doing some major fundraising and development so we can provide more programming and increased support in the community. Um, so... Um, we're, you know, we're really um, positioning ourselves to take that next step. And um, it's perfect timing because I won't be um, picking up and dropping off and um, doing all of that, packing lunch and, you know, mm-hmm. all, of, all of those mom things. Um, I, I will definitely have more time. That that uh, the work is only going to increase. It's not going to diminish. So, although you're Michigan based now, do you see it growing nationally? Absolutely, and because we have you know the marvels of wonderful technology most of the time, um, we can provide resources and really reach everyone and anyone who wants to access Stand With Trans information because of, you know, the website and, like I said, the Internet. Um, But in terms of the physical programs, yes, right now we are Michigan-based, but we're hoping longer term that we will be able to expand and partner with other community organizations that will be able to – provide, you know, do more of what we're doing, but in a larger scale and get to more people. And, um, you know, we'll see. It's always evolving and changing. The needs are changing. Um, I believe that 
the more people, the more, the more we talk about it, the more people will come out, the more people who come out, the more support will be needed. So it's not like a vaccine. We're not eradicating a disease. Mm. You know, the work is only going, Mm -hmm. the need is going to increase. Oh, yeah, because, you know, I always tell people, no one, when you have a child, you have a child, you know, no one can say, oh, well, this generation, all my kids will be straight. The next generation, I'll have a gay one. And the next one, you know, the, we're born every moment every of every day, and we're all different. So it's not like a disease. You're not right. looking for a vaccine. There will always be a need for advocacy, just hopefully in a different way. How do you feel, like right now, what are the, the main challenges to your work, uh, particularly in this crazy political climate that we have where we're seeing the reemergence of, you know, bathroom laws and trying to turn things back? What do you see are the major challenges? For us, really, um, and we're not a political advocacy group, so um, we're a bit away from the fray of that. But for us as an organization, the challenges are having a big enough board, so, you know, enough volunteers, and then ultimately paid staff and the resources to do what we want to do. So right now, as a newer organization, those are our challenges, Um, not the political landscape, you know, not the laws. Um, And in some ways, you know, when it's more difficult for people to find acceptance and have to deal with that stuff, they need the support even more. So, you know, um, now more than ever, we have to step up and expand the support resources that we offer. And um, it's not, you know, there are gay people everywhere, there are trans people everywhere. It's not like, well, you know, we're going to have support groups in major cities because that's where the, you know, they're everywhere. Mm-hmm. And so we have to find a way to have an accessible presence in the rural areas, in the urban areas, in the affluent areas, in the, um, you know, lower income areas. I mean, everywhere, because that's where the need is. Mm-hmm. Well, I know I saw that you were both at, um, for Trans Day of Visibility. You were up there and yeah. and in that moment, I mean, as you were going through the, did you ever, and you know, visualize or as you stood there and you looked out and you're talking to people on Trans Day of Visibility, here you're on the Capitol steps. What went through your mind? Uh, you know, I, um, I mean, I certainly a couple of years ago never imagined <laughs> that I would be. Um, doing what I'm doing, um, you know, speaking at press conferences in Lansing, speaking to a group on the steps of the Capitol, um, never in a million years. So I feel incredibly privileged and grateful that I'm able to do what I'm doing. Um, It's personally fulfilling 
um, I, I see the change. I see what happens when families come consistently to the support groups and the family dynamics evolve and they're happier and the child can transition. And um, I mean, you just can't even imagine. It's just, it's, it's so beautiful to see that evolution and um, the friendships that have been made over the past few years and um, the relationships that have been built. Um, this is, I mean, it's an incredible community and um I feel, I feel so um, grateful that Hunter was able to figure out what was going on because he was really struggling. Mm. And, um, you know, he looked at me and he said, I wouldn't change anything, which, mm. of course, you know, like he could have knocked me over with a feather. I was like, what? And he said, honestly, he said, I have learn so much. I am much more insightful. I understand people better. Um, he said, I'm just a different person. It's, you know, changed me in ways that I never could have experienced. So um, it's allowed me to be a different kind of parent and to have a relationship with this child that I don't think I ever could have had if he wasn't able to come out to us. So for us, it's been really just a blessing all the way around. Mm -hmm. You know, it's interesting because I think that of all, you know, because I've talked to a lot of people, and the ones that really sort of like just like, it's like mothers, okay? Everywhere from, like I talked to Danielle Atkinson who started, like I said, what made you decide to start this group, Mothering? justice and she said I was just doing the things that I needed to do mm -hmm. as a mother and for my yep. kids and I needed to do it and I talked to a woman who like I said she was a disability advocate and her son said mom I want to go through and be able to, to do the things like other kids and so she she just got busy to make it so that they could have that kind of world like even like right. with, with Harriet like it's like when you have it she and here she is at 81 and now she's talking about her kids and her grandkids but it's like when you have a child that's what you want to do you want to just prepare them help them live their lives and that's right. what's coming through with you and you know and in many ways it's sort of like you don't have a road map but it was like you were involved in social media. You were, through some of your business activities, you thought about how to think and tell stories and do all this. Mm -hmm. And you've had all of these different things, like said, that sort of wove you through. And I guess I'd like to ask you, how do you feel that all of these intersections that have influenced your life have impacted the directions you've taken, not only with Hunter, but just like how you talk about the balance within your family, and how you interact out there in the world and bringing people together. And how do you think it's going to impact the work that you're doing in the future? You know, I feel like, um, like on some level, it's been a gift. Um, I'm learning so much about people and about collaboration and um, how to be kinder and more understanding and um, 
you know, I almost can't put it into words, but it's not something that you could have planned for, you know. Um, Mm -hmm. But it is interesting that, you know, for years, um, you know, whether I was doing some professional writing or figuring out what a brand story was um, and, you know, using social media for a client perhaps, um, you know, the communications really, the communication skills, you know, the writing and the speaking, um, that all of that would come together and give me a foundation so I could then put that into an initiative that was life-changing, you know, saving lives. Um, That's pretty powerful, you know. you know, we we provide marketing services to clients. Um, big deal. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, we <laughs> it, it's mm-hmm. not. Um, you know, and we do some work for some nonprofits, and they're amazing, and we love working with them because the, their organizations are making a difference within communities. But but in general, it's you know, it's not rocket science, and mm-hmm. you're providing fee-for-service, but this work, this um, work with transgender youth and families is, it is life-changing for me personally, and it is saving lives. You know, we know that it's saving lives, and, you know, (laughs) it doesn't Mm -hmm. get much better than that, Michelle. (laughs) I know, I know, it really does. Yeah, um... So I don't know if that answers your question, but oh, I think it does. somehow it just has kind of, it's just, there was some little crack in the door and I had an idea and it's just exploded. And um, we have some great people on our team. We have phenomenal board members. Um, it's, it's really, um, I mean, who would have thought, you know, four years ago when we were, won't receive this news that it would turn into this incredibly powerful, positive work. Um, So, yeah, I feel pretty grateful. Yeah, it's sort of like, you know, all of those, they were great things to do, but it all, like you got this little bit, that little bit, that little bit, and then you knew how to take it and and look at the work that you're doing and really like, like, this is like, winning the gold medal, you know, yeah. yeah. This is this is the real work, you know. This is the kind of often that I think that when we do these kind of things, this is the kind of things that you're going to go back and look long term and you might not even recognize it somewhere down the road some young trans woman or trans man will come up to you and go like, you know, stand with trans help my family get to the point where I'm the person that I am today. Mm-hmm. I heard Hunter, and um, I was telling you about the lady who was a disability mm-hmm. advocate, and her son went on into school, and her daughter became a teacher working with kids who are disabled, mm-hmm. disabled, and one of the kids said, told her daughter, seeing what your brother did made me know that I could have you know, I could do that. Right. And, right. And so, and that, and that's really, that's damn good work. You know. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know. Oh yeah. There's, the, you know, I know my kids are inspired. Um, 
by what I've been doing and they and you know I I don't need the the accolades from them or um, you know a constant reminder of the work that we're doing but I know it's affecting them and that's a great model to set for your children Um, so I think anytime we can be in that position even if it's just you know, a, a small volunteer role with an organization who represents a cause that you feel passionate about. Um, what a great example for your children. So, Stan, we're coming towards the end of tonight's show, and I want to know I want, if you could share with our audience, if they want to find out more about Stand with Trans, how do they contact you? I would be happy to share that. Um, you can go to standwithtrans.org, and the website has all kinds of great information on it, including a calendar with the support group dates on it. Um, we recently added a, a comprehensive book list. So in the resource section, you'll see a drop-down menu for books, and it's everything from picture books all the way through parent guides. Um, it's mm. incredible, and there are links within all of the descriptions to actually purchase the book. So if anybody is looking for some additional info, uh, the book list is phenomenal. And um, you can also find links to Ally Moms and Call Him Hunter on the Stand With Trans website. Call Him Hunter is my blog. And Ally Moms um, is a group of about 80-plus women who are mothers to transgender individuals. So if somebody out there listening would like to become an ally mom there's an application but you have to be the parent a mother of a transgender individual in order to apply and of course we have a donate button on the website so if you are so moved to um, support us in any way every dollar helps us do what we do and um, it's a secured paypal um, process on the website so um, you can donate to the organization and then when we do have events we post that on the website as well we also have a a dedicated facebook page which we always post links to articles and resources just you know if you're logged into facebook go to stand with trans and you should be able to find the page pretty easily Mm -hmm. wow well i mean that that's it a lot of information, and, it's, and it, I'm looking at the website now. I mean, they're really great books. I mean, and that really shows how far we've come because to have these books, there are different levels of age appropriateness that you, so that you can have that conversation, you can share it, your child right. can see that they're not alone. Because how often do we hear, particularly trans children, but also gay children who say, you know, I thought I was the only one. And to have, I mean, this resource guide here, my God, this is just like awesome. I would encourage anyone to go in and check that out. Really great books. Um, I am just like so pleased to to talk with you. We will see each other again. Um, and many times we have a link now that will last forever. Uh, my it's best true. to Hunter. Okay, and I do, again, want to thank you for being our guest. And, you know, because I want people to, you know, hear that being a parent 
means, you know, you're all in. <laughs> I mean, you're all in. It's not easy. There's not a handbook. But you've shown. You make a way out of no way, and you do the best you can. And you have a wonderful son. And I was very proud to hear him speak. I've talked about him to other, other people. I said, you can hear this young man talk. And I mean, and, and very proud of him, very proud of you for the work that you're doing in our community. Thank you, Michelle. It's been my pleasure, really. Um, I loved our conversation, and I look forward to seeing you again. Okay. All right. Well, with that, I want to say good night to all of our listeners. Thank you again, Rod. And uh, share with you that you can listen to Collections by Michelle Brown each week on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitchers, or SoundCloud. Join us next week when I'll be introducing you to another amazing individual living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality, and creating change right here on Collections by Michelle Brown. And remember, you can be that change you want to see. Good night.